0: amen and amen so second corinthians chapter three beginning in verse number one one of the things that you see here is the apostle paul um, is almost frustratingly frustratingly writing to the corinthian church yet again and we know from scripture this is the third epistle to the corinthian church but it's the second one recorded in scripture now, one of the things that you want to see here is he says uh, in verse number one, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? And, what, and, and the reason that he's saying this is he's saying, look, I know you and you know me. Whenever I come to you and I'm going to bring you a word, do I have to bring a letter from somebody saying I've got the authority to speak into your life or are you just going to receive it because we know each other by now? Amen? you know that there's people in your life that are, you know, spiritual authorities god places in your life everybody should have a spiritual authority and then everybody should also be discipling somebody no matter where you are in the spectrum of faith you should be being discipled and you should be discipling others and one of the things that the apostle paul here is saying is we know each other you know whenever i'm speaking into your life don't blow me off i mean if i have to i'll bring letters to prove to you i've got the authority to speak into your life but we don't need to do that do we we don't need to do that, do we? And that's kind of where he, he, he leaves it right there. But he he kind of turns the corner, and he takes a a, a bold step. And, and whenever you're looking at the epistles, and you know, whenever somebody would go from one town to another, they would go from one church to another. Uh, the church would write a letter saying we are we are endorsing this member to come to your church and do such and such. Now we don't understand it in our generation because nobody knows what it's like to be, you know, faithful to, you know, to a church anymore. But there was a day and an hour when you that was the be all end all. You had your membership placed at a church. You had a membership card, and if you wanted to move across town from first Baptist to second Baptist, you had to call and get your card and they would send it to the other church. And it's not like that anymore, because now people just come in, come out and go here and go there. Amen? But there was an hour whenever, whenever, you know, faithfulness was important to the bride of Christ. And when, when he's saying, do I need to bring a letter or do I need to get one from you? He's saying, you know, we should be on that ground where we know each other by now. But if I have to, I'll, I'll bring it. But watch what he says in verse number two. He says, but you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. What is he saying here? He's saying, you, We don't need to bring an epistle because you're an epistle. You are a walking epistle. Now, what does an epistle do? Well, we're going to get into that in a minute, but just short and to the point, uh, which is how we like it, right? uh, An epistle brings clarity, understanding, and authority on any subject. Whenever there's any kind of subject that needs clarity, understanding, and authority, biblical authority, an epistle will be there. If, if, if you don't know whether it's right for you to go to McDonald's or Burger King, if it's not in an epistle, God's going to let you be led by the Spirit. Amen? But if you're not sure whether you should leave your husband or wife, it's clear, clarity, understanding, and biblical authority that you don't. Amen? So if, 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 we, need, if we need understanding and clarity and, and we need some biblical authority in our life, it's going to come from the Bible. Well, that's what an epistle is. It brings those three qualities. Now, whenever the Apostle Paul says, you are our epistle, not written with ink, written with the Spirit. What he's saying is, something has transpired in your life because you've been around us. Because you've been around us, God has done something in your life, and as you go out into the community, The people don't need to read a book. They're reading a changed life. They're reading a changed life by the way that you live because you honor God in all that you do because you serve God because you worship God because you don't go do what you used to do because God has brought you out of darkness and into light. You're a walking, talking epistle. That's what he's telling the Corinthian church. So, you know, we have 66 books of the Bible. Yes, but Each one of of God's children are a walking, living testimony to his redemption. A walking, living testimony of the power of Christ in a simple belief. A a walking, talking story of God giving us victory when we were in the middle of defeat. Each person who God has changed is a living epistle. The world doesn't understand. Amen? The world doesn't understand. You can sit down and start, you know, talking to the world about the Bible, and it just goes in one ear and out the other. They want to debate this and debate that. But I'll tell you one thing they can't debate, a changed life. They cannot debate the light of God and the power of God shining through a believer if you've got a testimony, you've got something. We overcome, right? We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony is what it says in Revelation. If God's brought you out of something, you've got a testimony and that testimony shines to other people. Amen. A lot of people may not like where God's brought you to. A lot of people may try to pop, pop your balloon and try to bring you down a notch, try to try to steal your thunder, try to steal the th- the steam from your engine. But look, if God has done it, God's done it, and no man can undo it. If you've got a testimony, you need to hang on to it and let your little light shine, amen? We don't hide it under a bushel, <laughs> no. <laughs> we let our little light shine. And that's what we've been called to do is to, is to let God's testimony of what he's done in our life be seen to other people. This is, you know, one of my favorite messages that I ever preached. I haven't had the opportunity to preach here yet, yet is the undercover Christian, right? Is that God never called you to be undercover. In other words, if nobody knows that you're a Christian, there's a problem. God didn't call you to be a Christian on Sunday but undercover Monday through Saturday. Now, we're not, we're not in the underground church world in China. Now, there, they have to live certain ways or they'll die. We get it. Here, God hadn't called you to be undercover. God has called you to let your light shine amen and every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ he's redeemed you he's brought you out of bondage he's forgiven you he's given you peace he's given you you know a new name he's given you a new future he's he's changed you and that change is your testimony and that testimony is a living epistle not written with ink so we're not talking about the 66 books of the Bible we're talking about a living testimony So when the apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, he's saying, you know, I need to speak into your life and if I have to, I'll bring letters if I have to, but I want you and you need to understand something because of our past, because I've taught you because, and if you understand Paul had spent hours and hours and hours with the Corinthian church. And he said, I've taught you, I've walked with you, I, I, I've stayed up late with you, I, I, You know, I've, we've gone through battles together, amen? We've gone through battles together, and I don't need a letter with ink, you're a living letter by the Spirit of God. Well, one of the things that you see is two things, and, and, and I want to show you something else. Number one, he said that you are manifestly, now that word manifestly means openly, out in the open. It's kind of like they're trying to cram, um, you know, sodomy down your throat, manifestly. They're trying to manifest it. They're trying to manifest it into existence, the acceptance of sodomy. And they're doing a good job at it because the world, the world is invading the church hour by hour, minute by minute. We're, we're accepting, accepting, accepting. They're trying to manifest an acceptance level. But the word manifest just simply means that it's out there that everybody can see it, okay? And so he said, you are manifestly or out in the open declared to be the epistle of Christ. Here's something I want you to see. Is that, and, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, whenever we're talking about the Corinthian church being an epistle written with this, not with the ink, but with hands, I want you to know you're a living, walking, talking epistle as well. God has filled you with His Spirit for a purpose, not so that you can have the the you know the ooey gooey's on Sunday, but so that you can live faithfully on Monday. And and here's the thing, it this is what it does. And I'm not against the ooey gooey's. I, I'm just that we've got to be faithful on Monday. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to see is that He manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. That means your testimony is not about your denomination. Your testimony is not about your church. It's not about your pastor. It's not about evangelist so-and-so. It's not that so-and-so laid hands on you. Your testimony is an epistle of Christ. That means the word of your testimony is Jesus saves Jesus delivers. Jesus sets people free. Jesus does this. Jesus does that. That is, you're giving the glory to whom glory is due, the lamb. Amen? The lamb of God is who the glory is due. And so, if we are this living epistle, we are giving the glory to Jesus. And second thing, and we're going to move. He says that it's not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in the heart. So here's something that we're going to move from. When God does something in your life, he's going to do it in your heart by his spirit. By his spirit in your heart. And one of the things that we've got to remember is that we we have a God, we have a God who can take us out of, every single situation that the enemy can get us into. And when he does it, it gives us a testimony, not just in our mind, but in our heart. Amen? If you've ever, if, if somebody has ever had a traumatic experience, if you've ever had a car wreck and somebody pulled you out of the fire, if you've ever, you know, had a, um, you know, an old injury and somebody saved your life or something like that, it's such a traumatic, climactic event It etches itself in your heart. Amen? And how much more when we're talking about a climactic event of Jesus saving us. It will etch it into your heart. Amen? It will etch it into your heart. Um, Flip backwards to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me show you something over here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Beginning in verse number 19. You see... Our lives should be a reflection of God's truth. An epistle, I said, brought clarity, understanding, and what else? Clarity, understanding, and authority. This is truth. All these things are part of truth. And whenever whenever we live our lives, whenever we're allowing the light of God to shine through us, what should be seen? Is that people see a reflection of God's truth in our lives if you're a walking talking epistle of Christ openly manifest your life will not be running against the truth of God's Word but it'll be running in concordance with the truth of God's Word in other words if if you are truly as we should be a walking talking epistle of Christ there shouldn't be in our lives things that run in direct opposition to His Word. You see, if we we should be a direct reflection of His truth. Now, I'm not saying you got to be perfect, but you've got to know how to live. You've got to know where to take your issues. Amen. You've got to know how you know what to do with those things. And here's one of the important truths that we see um, here in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Verse number 19, it says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen to this. Number one, Your body's the temple of God. Your body's the temple of God. And number two, your body doesn't belong to you anymore when you surrendered your life to Christ. Your your body and your spirit do not belong to you. They belong to God. And he purchased you with the price, the blood of Jesus Christ. So before you go and do something with your body or with your spirit, you better make sure that you're walking in concordance with the word of God. He's called you to walk in line with the truth of his word. Before we go and join ourselves with other people or go and join ourselves with other things or go and join ourselves with other ideas, we've got to make sure that they flow in line with God's truth in His Word because we, as believers on Jesus Christ, are not our own. Nowadays, in our generation, don't tell me what to do. You're not my boss you don't tell me what to do how dare you say that to me this is our generation that we live in this is our generation this is the attitude this is the mindset of every person but we've got to understand that when we surrender to Christ we surrender the rights to our bodies and our spirits when we go to the cross we don't go with a plea we go empty-handed beggarly to the cross And we are who he says we are. We are not who he says we are not. We do what he says to do, and we don't do what he says not to do. Amen? We are new creatures in Christ. Amen? He said that old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, right? So we are not who we used to be. When you go to the cross and you receive Him, you cut off your past. You're not who you used to be. You're new. Old things are past. You might have used to been a liar. You might have used to been a drunk. You might have used to been a prostitute, drug addict, you might have used to had this. You might have used to have that. But in Christ, you're a new creation. Your, Your body, your mind, it's always, your flesh is always going to come against you. In Galatians chapter 5, it says that our flesh and our spirit are at war with one another. They're at enmity one with the other. Amen? And so we've got to recognize that your flesh is going to continually be trying to pull you in the direction, but God has purchased you and God owns the rights to your body and your spirit. Most people think, well, you know, God's got my spirit and I'll just live how I want to live. That's not how it works. It's not that God has your spirit and you can live how you want to live and do what you want to do with your body. Your body belongs to the living God. If you belong to him, your body belongs to him. Your soul belongs to him. Your spirit belongs to him. Amen? And one of the things that we see in in this generation that we are living amongst is they say, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Well, you know what? You lose the right to that whenever you become a believer on Jesus Christ. You you surrender to his authority, to his headship. You surrender to him being the the supreme being of your life. And see, this is why epistles are so important because epistles, once again, they bring clarity, understanding, and authority in, in the situations of our life. So when we need to understand, because look how important it is. Look how important it is now. Our lives are not our own. And if we're going to live as living epistles for him, we need to understand what his desire and his will is for our lives. Amen. You see, one of the things that we see in this passage is that he has called us, he has called us to be his, not our own. This is part of what we call the crucified life. The crucified life is is just simply not living for yourself anymore. The crucified life is is living a life of sacrifice to him. First off, he said, um, the Holy Ghost is in you. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? The temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Now, let me ask you a question. How many times... How many times have we how many times have we lived in opposition to what God wanted us to do and we felt that pull down in the pit of our stomach every time because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. One of the things um, most common in our generation is people forsaking the assembling of themselves together people not assembling it as as believers at church you know church is not just for church attendance. It's to encourage one another so that we can be equipped to, to do the ministry that God's called us to do. And when God's called you to a, a, a fellowship, we're supposed to be united with one another. Amen? Helping each other grow in Christ. In other words, having each other's back, encouraging one another. You know what? Out in the world, you might not find compassion for your situation, but in your church, you should know the people of your church have your back. And you should love them, and you should want to help them grow and be all that they can be in Christ. This is why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's not so that we can pad our role. We don't take role. It's so that we can be who God called us to be. Amen? It's so we can be who God called us to be, um, the equipping of the saints. That's why we do that. Now, and and secondly, uh, you just, you know, you see throughout Scripture that it's, you know, um, the, the saints of God assembled together to to just recognize the resurrection and to glorify God and to have the preaching go forth and all the different things um, the ministry of the Holy Spirit now let me get into something I, w- I want to you know I, I'm, I'm kind of setting you up on a certain issue <laughs> I'm kind of setting you up on an issue because I'm we're talking about epistles And like I said, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Now, understand this. The epistles that we're talking about, uh, the first mention of the word epistle is right here in Acts chapter 15. This is where this comes from. Now, Paul plainly stated in 2 Corinthians 3 that there's two different kinds of epistles. There's two different kinds of epistles. There's the living epistle, which is, you know, human, which is not written with ink, but written with the Spirit of God in our hearts. And that's why I showed you that's why you're the temple of God. You don't belong to yourself, you're His. So there's that kind of epistle, but there's also the epistle that's written with ink, and, the, and both of them do the same job. They both testify about Jesus. They both, they both bring clarity. They both bring understanding. They both bring authority in a situation. And, and so right here in Acts chapter 15, just some background on how epistles came into existence. Because unless you didn't know, um, every book of the New Testament is an epistle. Those things to the church the, the epistle to the Galatians, or the Ephesians, or you know the the one to Titus, whatever. These are epistles. Per, uh, Peter, first and second Peter. These are epistles. These are this is our New Testament, and that's that's why epistles are important. Is because you know what, the the Bible is no longer being written, but the testimony of it is still going on. That's why you today are a living, breathing testimony, a living, breathing epistle to the world. Like I said, the world may not ever pick up... Well, in fact, D.L. Moody said this. He said, 99 men won't pick up the Bible. 99 men won't pick up the Bible, but one will. And the other 99 are going to read the one that does pick it up. So if you say you're a believer... Everybody else that doesn't normally pick up their Bible, they're going to be watching you to see how you live. They're going to be watching you to see whether you're forgiving, whether you're loving, whether you've got the fruit of the Spirit. Well, they don't have a test saying, well, they don't have long-suffering, but they can see when you're long-suffering. You see, whenever you're walking in the Spirit of God, you have something that they don't have an answer for. This is something that's it's giving glory to the Lord. Now, One of the things that you see here in Acts chapter 15, like I said, this is the birth of the epistles, and the very first, right out the bat, um, this is in Antioch, okay? How many of y'all remember Antioch is where people were first called what? Christians. Christians. People were first called Christians in Antioch. Antioch's very important to our faith. Antioch's in Syria. If you're not familiar with where Syria is, most of the manuscripts that are part of the received text come from Syria. This is the, the Syriac text or the Byzantine text. This is where we get the majority of what we know about God from Antioch. Every, every, a lot of good things were birthed there in Antioch. Um, this is where the apostle Paul was sent out as a missionary. Amen. How many of y'all re- remember Paul didn't just go on a missionary trip? He was sent by his church. He was sent out you know that there's a difference between a went one and a sent one you go on your own you're gonna you're gonna find out real soon that that was not a good idea but when you go out in the authority and in the blessing of God's local church you'll find that God's got your back amen that God's got your back. So there's a difference between a went one and a sent one. Well, here, what I want you to see in, in verse 1 of Acts 15, uh, we're here in Antioch, and things were progressing well. If you read the end of verse, uh, if you read the end of chapter 14, just out of context, Paul got stoned, Paul died, Paul came back to life, and and he Uh, went to a few other cities and then he circles back to Antioch and everybody's having glory. Everybody's having a good time. They're experiencing God's moving. And then you come up to Acts 15. And right at that time, it says certain men, which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, now listen, taught the brethren. So you're, what, it always happens like this, by the way. Whenever God begins to move, certain folks will come in. And these certain folks came in and they began to teach the brethren. Now, they're not teaching, they're not teaching unbelievers. They're trying to teach something new to believers. He says, uh, certain men came uh, from Judea, taught the brethren, and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So you, oh, you think you're saved, you're not saved. This is what they said. Oh, you think you're right with God, but you're not right with God because you're not circumcised. And so, you know, any, and this is important to remember, anytime time anybody gets together in the name of Jesus, the enemy is going to do what he can to try to sow discord in the midst, to try to bring confusion in the midst. I want you to see that this confusion this discord is brought to the believers not the unbelievers the believers so he's trying the enemy's trying to trip up people who are headed in the right direction and he's and what is he getting them to do he's getting them to doubt their salvation He's getting them to doubt that they are truly saved. And if the enemy can get you to doubt that you're saved, he's got you in a place where he can impose on you all kinds of satanic things. If he can get you to believe that you're not right with God, that you, you know he can, he can impose on you condemnation, all kinds of other ungodly things. He can put you under his thumb. Amen? But How many of you know that we're not under his foot? He's supposed to be under ours amen that's what Paul prayed that he'd be under your feet okay but watch this though watch this second in second verse he says when therefore Paul and when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the Apostles and elders about this question pause Now, um, a lot of commentaries kind of take a a, a pretty good view on this. They said that, you know, there was no small dissension. If If you can just think, the apostle Paul is the one who got the revelation, right, about the cross and the power of the cross. And one of the things that, you know, if you see somebody coming into the church and preaching a different gospel, can you imagine how riled up he probably got? It says there's no small dissension now it doesn't mean that they you know threw chairs at them like WWF or something it's not saying they brought the steel chairs out but what happened was they didn't let it sit whenever false doctrine entered in they stood up against the false doctrine they rejected the false doctrine amen and so that's one of the calls of the believer is you're supposed to always be testing the spirit to see if it's of God every doctrine every teaching everything that's ever spoken or done you should be weighing it against your clear understanding authoritative epistles that's why you are given epistles and you'll see this later you, the, while you're given epistles is so that you can weigh these things out you see at this point in time they didn't have anything to weigh it against They didn't have the New Testament yet. The New Testament was in the process of being written. And so what they did is they decided to take the matter to the elders. Point number two, point number two, whenever you have a problem, whenever you have a question, whenever you have a dispute, whenever you have a dissension, whenever you have doubt, you need to take it to your elders. Whenever you don't understand something, whenever you're feeling funny about something, you need to take it to your elders. Amen? Because one of the things that the enemy wants to do is to separate you from people of God. And in doing so, he will pull you away from the people that love you, from the people that pray for you. He will pull you away from those kind of people. And he will put you in a group of people that don't truly care for your soul. May on the outside look like it, but not in fact, not in reality. So here's something that you want to see, is that whenever there was a dissension, they took it to the elder, which is commendable. This is what you're supposed to do. Amen? I've seen so many disputes in church. You know, sometimes they're silly. You know, sometimes they're silly. But when you're in the heat of a dispute, it's never silly, right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen churches split over the color of carpet, right? Well, my family didn't get a vote on it. Why did y'all pick when we weren't there? Y'all knew we weren't going to be. No, we didn't know you weren't going to be there. We thought it was Sunday you'd be there. You're supposed to be there on Sunday. Well, we weren't there, and y'all picked without us. Y'all must not want us to be there. Well, fine, we're leaving, and we're taking, you know, such-and-such family and such-and-such family because they don't care about us no more. So I've seen, I've seen, I've seen the color of carpet split churches before. Now, who do you think inspired that god or the devil because when we have a dissension we should do as they did they took it to the elders right they took it to the elders there was not a small and look we're talking about the color of carpet yeah you you ought to see some folks get hot under the collar about color of carpet color of the walls uh, you know who's going to be appointed over Sunday school who's going to be doing this who's going to be uh who's going to be on the the outreach team who's going to do that people will get sideways quick with you if you don't watch out and and those are silly things but i want you to see their their dissension was about the nature of the gospel their dissension was about how you're saved and they still handled it better than most folks handle uh you know, the annual financial meeting. They handled it mature. They took their issue to the elders. Let the, and look, and let the elders decide. What do you think we should do? This is what they're saying. This is what we think. What do you say? And let it ride. But people today are, that's too much to ask. So, one of the things that you'll see, and we're going to move down, one of the things that you see is that they go, okay? So, there's, the dissension is, you Gentile believers, Antioch's in Syria, right? You Gentile believers, you're not saved. You're not saved because you're not following the Mosaic law. You're not being circumcised, which is part of the Mosaic law. And, so we have a dispute here about salvation, and we're going to take it to the elders. We're going to take it to the elders. Now, let me show you something. It says in verse number four when they were come to Jerusalem they were received of the church and of the Apostles and the elders and they declared all things that God had done with them verse number five but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed so here you have believing Pharisees believing Pharisees these are believing what believing on Jesus apparently they were Pharisees who believed on Jesus okay and how many of y'all know Pharisees are all about the law this is just their nature It's about the law so here comes here comes the dispute that's actually going to be settled so Paul and Barnabas go up to Jerusalem because of one issue and when they get there They start telling everybody what's been going on with the Gentiles, and the Pharisees get fired up. The Pharisee believers get fired up hearing these testimonies. See, they said they were telling them everything that God had done. God's been saving the Gentiles. Isn't Paul the apostle to the Gentiles? Yeah, so God's been saving Gentiles ever since Acts chapter 10, and Paul's telling them, and Barnabas is telling them, and the Pharisees get fired up. This is the this is the uh, brother of the prodigal syndrome. This is the good son syndrome. If you if you don't know what that is, just simply put, it, um, if you live your life in church all the time, you're goody two shoes and all that kind of stuff. And somebody else has been a drunk, a prostitute, drug dealer, all this kind of stuff. They come in, they get right with God, then God promotes them. <laughs> and God puts them, it's teaching Sunday school within a year, then they're associate pastor, then they're pastoring, and you're just over there with your hand on your hip saying, I'm, they're not right, I can't believe it, I, you know, they're going to fall, they're going to go back, they're this, they're that, here I've been all the time, you know, doing everything I'm supposed to do, and look at them, they think they can just come in here, and they can run this church, who do they think they are? That's the That's the prodigal's brother, that's the good brother syndrome. And, and so we have to guard against that, amen? We have to recognize what God has done in our life, he can do in other people's lives. And God's no respecter of persons. God's gonna use who he wants to use. In fact, God uses weak people so he can get the glory. What about Moses? Moses couldn't talk. Moses couldn't talk that good, but God used him for great speech. And God got the glory, amen, not Moses. So um, one of the things that you see is these Pharisees, they get fired up. That's a little bit of that that prodigal's uh, brother, the good brother syndrome. They get fired up, but watch, watch what they truly believe. You know, whenever you have have a, a conflict, you'll see the truth of what people believe come to the surface sometimes conflict is bad but sometimes it reveals who people really are if you don't believe that's true just wait just wait because old sister so-and-so who's all smiles wait till you get in her parking spot true character is revealed in the heat of conflict and so and so the so paul and, and barnabas are saying The Gentiles have gotten saved. They're declaring all these things that God did, and it it riled something up in these Pharisees. So it says that, verse number six, but there rose up certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So what are they saying? They're saying, you know what, if these Gentiles are believing like you're saying they're believing, then they need to get circumcised and follow the law of Moses. So now the church in Jerusalem has a conundrum on their hands because Paul and Barnabas are preaching one thing and the Pharisee believers amongst them are saying something else needs to happen. And so I want you to see that they handle it both sides. You know, we're going to dog them out, but let's give them glory. They both handled it the right way. They yield it to the elders. They let the elders decide what should happen. Amen? You know what would happen in 2019? They would just go start their own church. I'm just going to pick up my blanket and head out the door. Okay, Um So in verse number six, it says, the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe now if you don't remember this is Acts chapter 10 this is Cornelius whenever Peter got that vision um, the sheet holding all the unclean animals and then God called him to Cornelius's house and Peter preached the gospel and they believed and they received the Holy Ghost this is in verse number eight in God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So what is Peter's take? Peter says, well, I don't see the big deal because y'all know that I went to Cornelius' house and they believed and God didn't make them separate. God gave them the same Holy Ghost we have which you'll see on Wednesday night in Bible study what that is. But he said, there's no difference between us and them because he gave them the same Holy Ghost we got at Pentecost. Holy Ghost came on them just like he came on us. No difference. And watch what he says in the next verse. Now therefore, why tempt ye God? to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear so what is he saying wait a second is he calling the law of moses a yoke yes that is exactly what peter called the law of moses a yoke of bondage a veil over the eyes as peter says i mean as paul says in in second corinthians 3 this is a yoke he said why are you trying to put a yoke on them that we and our fathers couldn't wear. In other words, we couldn't walk perfectly in the law. Why are you trying to put it on them? We failed, and you're trying to put it on them, knowing they'll fail too. You see, why did Jesus have to come? Because all sinned. All had sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even somebody who kept the law failed Everybody that ever said, you know, that they were righteous, they kept the law, all that means is when they sinned, they took their sacrifice, their sin offering to God. It never means they never not needed a sin sacrifice. Built in the law was a sin sacrifice. Year by year, the Bible says. And look what he says in verse number 11. He says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So Peter, Peter says, we're saved just like they're saved. We're saved by God's grace, by what Jesus did. They're saved by God's grace through what Jesus did. There's no difference in the way that we get saved. They don't have to do anything special. We don't have to do anything extra. We're all saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. And Peter, you know, being an an elder of the church, he he carried weight. And then there was a, you know, they had a few more discussion about it. And um, we're going to bring it all the way down to, uh, well, let's start with verse number uh, 13. It says that, After they held their peace, James answered, you know what he said, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon, talking about Peter, has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it's written, After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Now, he's saying that the, the Gentiles in the book of Psalms, they're called just like we are. There's going to be a point in time when God brings them into reconciliation, when he rebuilds this tabernacle of David, which, you know, we see. Now, look what he says in verse number 19. He says, wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned unto God. So he says, you know what? My decision is, and and he's the, the head, right? He said, my decision is we don't trouble them. In other words, we don't put that yoke on them. We don't put that yoke on them. But we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions and idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood now hold up i said all that i was i was talking to you about epistles and why epistles are important epistles bring clarity understanding and authority authoritative truth on particular matters and what you're about to witness is the birth of the epistle to the churches this is about to, this you're about to see the first epistle being written in in what and now we don't have it recorded but we have the we have the birth of it recorded you know God didn't for his whatever divine purpose didn't preserve this actual letter but he preserved the birth of it and the main contents of it placed right here in this passage of Acts so this would have been you could call it you know like the epistle to uh, the the Antioch Church you know the Antiochian Epistle but So he says that we're not going to put on them that yoke. We're not going to burden them, but we're just going to tell them, look, keep yourself clean. Just keep yourself clean. Don't get involved in fornication. Don't get involved with idols. Don't, you know, don't do that kind of stuff. That's it. And um, look what it says. Uh, He said in verse number 21. And this, listen, this confuses some folks, so I want you to pay close attention because this confuses folks. But right here, James, the elder, is telling you why we're about to write an epistle, okay? He's telling you why we're going to write an epistle. Listen to what he says real close. He says, for Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every sabbath day then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to antioch with paul barnabas namely judas surnamed barsabbas and silas chief among men and the brethren and verse number 23 and they wrote letters now pause why did he say that spill about moses why did he say that spill about moses because The context of it is up in verse 20. The context is in verse 20. He said, we're not going to put on them any other burden. That's my charge. We're not going to put on them any other burden, but we're going to write to them that they don't fornicate, that they keep themselves pure and clean. And then he says, basically, this is how I would say it. We're going to write to them, so that don't understand and know what to do, just like Moses was written down and given to them and read in their synagogues each week, we're going to send a letter of commendation to the church in Antioch so they'll know how to live. So he's, he's, he's saying just like Moses is read every week, they want these epistles to be read every week in the church. That's exactly what he's saying. And so they write these epistles to the churches. There's three churches there that are grouped together, and they, they tell them, pass them around so that everybody knows the truth. Why is that? Well, here's an important truth. If you don't go to church, how are you going to hear the epistle? If, if you absent yourself from church, how are you going to hear the epistle? Well, I got my own Bible. I can read at home. Well, yeah, you can. But, but, you know, the way that God prescribes the church is that there's people who declare the word of God. There's pastors. There's preachers. There's teachers. There's apostles, right? And you can say somebody else is, you know, well, they're a pastor. They preach the word. Well, are, do they fall in line with God's examples in Timothy about, you know, do they qualify as a pastor amen so anyways there's the preaching of the epistle that's going to take place and moving on down uh, just real quickly moving on down um, go to verse number 30 now after they had written the letter they just kind of rehearsed what they wrote and after they after they wrote it Um, Well, let's pick it up in verse number 27. This is part of the letter. It says, We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves... You shall do well, fare ye well. And We're going to stop right there. They received that word, and it brought, it says in the next verse, it brought them consolation. It encouraged them. It gave them comfort to know, listen, they were saved. They were just as saved as anybody else. They didn't have to do any other thing except keep themselves pure. That's all that God asked them to do is just keep yourself pure. Amen? And one of the things that you see is when when this epistle is brought forth to the church in Antioch, it brings them consolation because now they have clarity on the subject. Now they know. Now they know that they're saved by grace, just like Peter said. Amen? Now they have an understanding of how they're saved. And now, there's some truth. There's, you know, that authority comes with it. There's no question on the matter. Now, if, you know, another false teacher comes in the midst and says, well, you're not saved because you play musical instruments. Or you're not saved because you don't follow the law of Moses. Now, they have authority on the subject that says, no, we're saved by grace just like the disciples were at the beginning. We're saved the same way. There's no difference between us and them. And there's no other burden put on us. Amen? So the epistle, I'm going to bring it back full circle to close. The epistle to the church in Antioch brought them clarity, understanding, and authority. Are you with me? God's called us To be a living epistle to others. Not to be ambiguous about being a believer. Not being a believer in hiding. But God's called you and God's called me to bring clarity about God's will to others. God's called us to help others understand who God is, what the gospel is, and how they get saved. And as you do that, God will put authority on you. God will give you some anointing from within. He'll give you that unction that we were talking about. He'll give you that that anointing from within that gives you the authority because your authority doesn't come from you. It comes from God. When you preach what God preaches, when you say what God says, when you stand on the truth of, of God's word, There is no hesitation. There is no hiccup. There is no, well, maybe God's word is the final authority. It is what it says it is. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is the be-all, end-all of all matters of our faith and our life. And so when you're a walking, talking, living epistle, as you should be, so we're not talking about the ones written with ink like we just read about, But we're talking about the ones that are written by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Your testimony. What did God do for you? Where did God bring you from? What did God, what kind of darkness did God save you out of? Do you remember? Do you think back about those times, about how God saved you? Do you think back about how hopeless you were at one time? Do you think back about the times that you were in bondage to drugs or alcohol or, or, you know, pornography or envy or whatever? Do you think back about those times and give God glory for what he's done in your life, that he's broken every bondage, every stronghold that Satan had on your life? Amen? And he brought you out of darkness and into the light of Jesus and that produces a living epistle that others can see other people can see you're different you're changed you're not weighed down by the change that Satan once had on you Now you've got joy from within. Now you've got a song to sing. Amen? God's given you a new song because God's given you a new hope because God's given you a new heart because God's put His Spirit within you and God's renewed your mind and God's given you hope of eternal life. And that produces in you a testimony that to others will bring clarity understanding and authority to stand on amen? amen amen father we thank you this evening god for your presence and your peace lord